Okay, then I'm going to just jump right into Revelation chapter 11. We'll pray, and then we'll read. I'm going to read the first. I was going to try to go through the whole chapter. I'm going to take a, a bite size, and I hope I haven't bitten off more than I can chew, but I'm going to go through the first 12 verses. We'll, we'll, we'll cut this kind of roughly in half, and even then I think I'm going to have to go faster than I'd like to, but let's, let's try that and see what, see what happens. Okay, I'm going to read the first 12 verses. Uh, and it was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the, of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put into graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. And after three days and a half, the Spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you give us supernatural, divine understanding. We're not divine beings, but your Holy Spirit is, and he's among us, and he says, you know, where two or three are gathered together. Well, Lord, we, we want to understand. This is a tough sledding, and we understand. It's also very controversial. We understand that. But you know how it is with us, Lord, theologically. We want to be right down the center of the, of the right road, and we just want to be those who, one, take your word very seriously, and those who have taken it into our hearts and live it out in a way that glorifies you. So make that a reality here this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation 11. There was given unto me a rod. Okay, this is John on the Isle of Patmos receiving the revelation. He's the me. He's given a reed like unto a rod. It's a measuring device. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. Now, uh, come to our first fork in the road, okay? And what does this mean, temple? Is there like a temple? Like, the temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And then after the Babylonian captivity, it was rebuilt under the leadership of Zerubbabel. And then that it was re that second temple was reformatted, rebuilt in a very big way, an aggressive building project under Herod the Great. That was a temple that Jesus visited. 
that he spoke and said, your house is left unto you desolate, that the Romans came and they raised that in A.D. 70, Titus Vespasian. We know the story. It's well-traveled ground here. We, we talk about that. So is there, an all, is there a temple in Jerusalem today? <laughs> Not so as you'd notice, okay? There's, there are those who would like to build a temple. They're a small minority inside of Israel, but they're very aggressive in their desire to build a temple. There's the Temple Institute. They've trained young men to be priests, to, to actually sacrifice animals. They've built a lot of the temple, like the fire pans and a lot of the pots and a lot of the, the things that they're going to need to reinstitute temple worship. I think that part of the pact that the Antichrist that that covenant with death that kicks off, and if this is new to you, sorry, I, I can't start from zero every week. The, the day one of the tribulation is the Antichrist making a pact with the many, Israel, for one week, seven years. That's found in Daniel chapter 9, and it's spelled right out. And if you really, really want to get a understand what, you know, end times, understand the book of Daniel, and specifically, you have to gain mastery over chapter 9. But helpfully, there's a lot of teachers out there who can get you there in a hurry. You have to actually, you know, spend some time and spend some brain power and, and study these things out. But this is, is there going to be a temple? Yes. Now, some people say this temple, that's, that's we're the temple. 1 Corinthians 7, Adam, hello, don't you know your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost that lives inside of you? Uh, seven times in the New Testament is the church of Jesus Christ called a temple. Say, so is this one of the seven times? It is not, <laughs> in my thinking. But in some people's thinking, this is just talking about the church of Jesus Christ as the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Adam, why don't you think so? Because it, it's three and a half years in. Remember I told you that 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14 are all mid-tribulation events, okay? And God gives us a time stamp telling us that in all the chapters. Here, look at the, verse, uh, the end of verse 2. And the holy city shall they tread under, they, shall they tread under, under foot, 40 and 2 months. 40 and 2 months is three and a half years, do the math. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days. One thousand two hundred and sixty is three and a half years. I, I, you know, the Spirit of God wants us to think in terms of three and a half years, okay? This tribulation, seven-year period, the great tribulation, technically, is three and a half years. And these things happen at the midpoint, and he's introducing, in this chapter, us to those things that are happening at the midpoint, Okay? Um, so if you think that the church of Jesus Christ is this temple that puts the church of Jesus Christ on the earth during the tribulation, you say, well, yeah, no kidding. But that, I, that was my contention all along. The church is here during the whole thing or during part of it. Now, some people would, would say that. And they say, because the, the temple of God is the church of Jesus Christ. If that's so, what's the altar? And what's the court outside of the temple? I think we're looking at the temple reinstituted. The one that Jesus said 
that the, the Antichrist is going to uh, make desolate with an abomination, the abomination that causes desolation. Again, spoken Daniel chapter 9. You really have to know this stuff. Daniel chapter 11 and Daniel chapter 12 and spoken by Jesus Christ in Matthew 24, among other places. And, and, and Paul gives us more detail in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I know I'm going a lot of places. You can hear this later on YouTube, write these things down and go and investigate them. We don't have time to do all that right now. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 where Paul says that the man of sin, he's going to go to the temple, temple and he's going to make himself, present himself as God. Now he's filling in the blanks. That's the abomination of desolation. Hey, I'm God. I'm here now. You will worship me. And this, uh, we'll find out in chapter 13 here that he's going to make a, that the Antichrist, that he's a, got a partner in crime, the false prophet, who's going to make an idol that speaks, and if you don't bow down to this idol, you've had it. So you're all done. And so, and then, you know, they're going to introduce, you know, the mark of the beast, this and that. I think that's, this is that temple that's going to be desecrated, that Jesus spoke of, that Paul spoke of, that Daniel spoke of. Okay, uh, so rise and measure. What's that? Get your arms around, figure it all out. Get, this isn't the first time where we see measurements taken in Scripture. Ezekiel, you know, chapter 40, all the way through 45, everything's measured. I think that you'll find is the millennial temple. Was it, is it going to be a temple in the millennial kingdom? Yeah, there is. And we've studied that in the past. And again, I can't reiterate. I've, I've, I'm, I think i got my hands full right now just trying to get through these few verses. But the court, the outer court, the court of the Gentiles. In Jesus' time, there was a court. There was inner court, there was outer court, there was a court of the women, there was a court of the Gentiles. He's saying, the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. Don't measure that. That's not going to be included in this. And I think he's using the word Gentiles here for unbelievers, not for people who are not Jewish. Uh, those phrases are interchangeably used in Scripture. And the holy city, what's that? It's Jerusalem. So that further tells me that we're not talking about the Church of Jesus Christ as a temple. We're talking about a temple, a physical structure, a building in Jerusalem. Uh, so leave that part out. The, it, it, it's, it's given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread under, uh, I'm sorry, tread underfoot 40 and two months, three and a half years. Now let's talk about these two witnesses. And I think by having chapter 11, verse 2 and verse 3, it connects the witnesses with the temple. Where are they going to be? They're going to be in Jerusalem. You know, if you get that, if you watch like one of those movies or read the books like the Left Behind series, they got these two witnesses and they're like hanging right around the temple all the time and stuff like that. I think that's basically correct. And I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days. And they're clothed in sackcloth. So their ministry, their prophesying, is a picture of repentance. Sackcloth, scripturally, means repentance. It doesn't really mean anything else. The idea of like, you know, you know, we talk about wearing a hair shirt or something like that. And it means like sorrow, grief, repentance. And it's the idea. Here they're clothed in, in, in sackcloth. And if you study sackcloth, you're going to see it, 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 the ministry is about repentance. And so here they are prophesying for three and a half years. They're clothed in sackcloth. 
Now he's going to connect the dots for us so that we understand what's being talked about here. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Wait, what? Well, anyone in the day of Revelation who knew Scripture, knew the Old Testament, would understand that he's talking about Zechariah chapter 4. Let's go there. If you're in Matthew, I mean, if you find Matthew, go left, you'll find Malachi, then you'll hit Zechariah, okay? And if you go to chapter 4, it's on page uh, 1384 of my Bible, probably very helpful. I'm going to wait until I hear the page stop, stop turning. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. The angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that has waked out of his sleep and said to me, What seest thou? This is the prophet Zechariah. What do you, hey, what are you seeing? And I said, I looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and had seven lamps thereon. It's not a candlestick as we would understand it. It's a, uh, a lampstand, okay? They didn't have candles made of wax with a wick that was self-consuming. You know, when they, it talks about the candlestick in, like, Revelation, that's just a King Jamesism. Well, if you have a more update version, so you're seeing a, a, a lamp with seven branches, as we would think of it, a menorah, okay? When the, both the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament were lighted by a menorah. Everyone with me? And it, and it burned olive oil. That was the mechanism. That's how it gave off light. Uh, Behold a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the uh, top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I spoke and spake to the, I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. He's the governor when they return. He's in the Davidic line. He's in Jesus' line. Jesus would be his great, great, many great grandson. And many great grandfather would be David. Okay? This is Zerubbabel. He's the governor at the time. Uh, who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Oh, then he answered and spake to me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, not by power, not by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel would have to know that. The two great witnesses, these two witnesses in chapter 11 would have to know that. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof, with shouting, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Now, I'd love to take all my time and talk about this, because I'm very excited about it, but I again, if you just if I do that, I won't get anywhere else. Uh, just skip down to verse fourteen. Then said he, "These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth." Is that very reminiscent of chapter four, four uh, chapter eleven of uh, of Revelation? Yeah, it is. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the whole earth. Now that's the. Old Testament picture. And therefore, some people say that the identity of these two witnesses, Zerubbabel and Joshua, who is the high priest under Zerubbabel's administration. I don't think so. Some people say they're Moses and Enoch, and some people say they're Moses and Elijah. Some people say they're not people at all. They're like, uh, the Bible answer man says that they're um, the Bible and the Holy Spirit. 
And I always think, like, how does the Bible and the Holy Spirit die and then get resurrected? I listened to one lady who made them Adam and Eve. I, I, you, watch YouTube. It's kind of entertaining. You can see anything you want to see. It's kind of a little bit cray-cray. But anyway, now you're new here. And you're saying, I, I don't know, I'm not, we have people online. And they're saying, like, what, why would anyone think that people who haven't come yet are people of the past? That's a little bit beyond my thinking. Why would we take two witnesses who haven't showed up yet and try to ascribe to them, you know, we try to make them people who lived in history and are not here anymore? That's a very good question. We knew that anywhere else in Scripture. I mean, think about it. It's a little bit. And there are those who say, no, these are two future prophets, like as you would think about it. And even people who I like a lot, who I lean upon for their scholarship, a lot of people say, no, just, just think I'm too random in the future. When the tribulation happens, what? When's that going to start? Next month? A year from now? Three and a half years from now? Five, I don't know. Sooner than later, if you ask me. But that's just my thinking. Um, so, so why would we ascribe them as people of the past? I mean, look, in chapter 13, we're going to be introduced to two beasts, one who comes up out of the sea, the other one who comes up out of the land, and then they are, you know, they're, they're bad. They're beasts. Oh, my goodness. Uh, they, we're going to find out that the Antichrist and the false prophet. And nobody ever says, I say the Antichrist and the false prophet, nobody ever says, oh, yeah, Hitler and uh, Haman, uh, the Pharaoh and uh, Judas. Nobody ever says like that. So why do we think that these people are people of the past? It's a good question. Why do, do Adam, do you think that? I kind of do. I kind of do. Well, that's kind of a little bit crazy. Why would you think that? Well, it's a good question. Go back to Matthew, turn left, and we're going to hit the book of Malachi. Okay? I, I'll tell you, I think they're people of the past, and I'll tell you who I think they are. Malachi, okay? Chapter 4, verse 5. This is the way the Old Testament ends. Now, by the way, the way that the Christians have figured out this way the Old Testament ends, the Tanakh is in, it has the same content, it's in different order. Jewish Old Testament does not end like this, but the Christian Old Testament does. Behold, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What's the great and dreadful day of the Lord? Well, it's the tribulation. It's what we've been talking about all along. One of the titles for the tribulation period is the great and dreadful day of the Lord. I think we exhausted that on Wednesday nights. I think we, every time we saw that scripture, we saw it when it talks about that day and in that day, that great day, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Any phrase like that, we put in the eschatological bag because it always is, it always was, and it always will be, by the way. So when he's talking about the great and dreadful day of the Lord, he's talking about the the uh, the great tribulation. What's what's he promising? Before that happens, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. He promised. So that's why we look to the. Is what about the other guy? Is he somebody from the past too? Well, look at chapter four, four verse four. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb. So it's connecting. In verses 4 and 5, Moses and Elijah. And I think that's a good connection because I know what 
Matthew chapter 17 says, by the way, just turn right now, one book in the Bible. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1, After six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringing them up into a high mountain apart. Now, I want to comment on this so bad I can taste it, but I can't because I'm just looking at the time. And his figure, and, and, and he was transfigured. So this is Jesus in the mountain with Peter, James, and John. He's transfigured before them. His face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Now, does that prove that the witnesses of Moses and Elijah didn't prove anything? But it kind of hints, and I think Malachi chapter 4 hints. Now, as I'm listening to Arnold Fruchtenbaum, because he's one of my people I revere and I really look up to his older brother in the Lord. And he says, these are two future prophets. Elijah will come because Jesus said he will come. But that's a different beast altogether. That's, he's going to have, he's going to come, he's going to have his ministry. He's going to restore the, as Malachi said, he's going to rest- turn the hearts of the children to the parents and, and you know, take away sin lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Will he be successful? No, No, Revelation, Jesus is going to come and smite the earth with a curse. I think we all understand that from our reading in Revelation. But here we have this this transfiguration, and Moses and Elijah show up. Do you remember, we looked at this Wednesday night. (coughs) Do you remember at the tomb when the ladies were there? There were two men stood before them. said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Is this Moses and Elijah? I don't know. Pure speculation. But I wouldn't be at all surprised. No, Adam, those are angels. That says two men. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus ascends up to heaven, there was two men standing there and said, uh, don't worry, Jesus, he's going to come back the same way he's leaving. He's coming back. Remember? Two men. You say, no, those are angels. Eh, says two men. Could that be Moses and Elijah? I don't know. This is speculation. I understand that. A lot of this is speculation. I'm not one who generally speculates, but I think that back in Revelation 11, I think that these two people are Moses and Elijah, and I think the Lord's telling us that in verses 5 and 6. What do you mean? Well, if any man will hurt them, why would somebody try to hurt them? Because they're the ones who are causing a lot of this, or at least telling people, okay, when something, you have a, 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 a seal opened in heaven, how do we know from on earth what's going on? Unless there's somebody telling us what's happening. There's angels holding back the wind. That's disastrous. There's going to be no rain if there's no wind. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's catastrophic. How do we know that angels are holding back that wind? I think these, the ministry of these two prophets are telling people what's going on in the heavenlies to try to connect the dots. So they, I mean, their ministry is about repentance. This isn't just the earth getting angry. This is, the, this is the wrath of the Lamb. He's very upset about sin, and he calls them to repent. Remember uh, in chapter 9, the end of it, the rest of the men which were not killed with these plagues, were, they repented not of the work of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. So they didn't repent of their idolatry, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, read here, drug use, nor of their fornication, read here, sex sin, nor of their thefts, read here, thefts. Okay, 
they didn't repent. And this, these are two witnesses in sackcloth calling for repentance and telling people on the earth what's going on. So people will try to hurt them because they think that what they're saying, they say, hey, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. It's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. Wow, let's kill them. People will try. If any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. Now that's a really cool, cool superpower. If you need a superpower and people are trying to kill you, that's a, probably a pretty good one to have, right? Do we know anyone else who had could f- call fire from heaven? Well, Elijah did. He did on Mount Carmel. Do you remember? Do you remember in Acts chapter 2, the king after um, Ahab, and I don't remember who it was, called and said, hey, go arrest Elijah. And, you know, the guy, the captain with his 50 went and said, hey, man of God, you come down here. The king wants to see you. He goes, if I be a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and the 50. You remember that? It's in um, 2 Kings chapter 1. He did that two times. And the third guy came really humbly and said, uh, man of God, please, uh, I'm, just a, I'm just a messenger. Don't, don't uh, you know, have any heartburn with me. Uh, just, just, uh, if you, you know, and, and so the Spirit of God said, yeah, go with him. He's a good guy. And then he went and he confronted the king, etc., etc. If any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. If any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Some people think it's not fire, like fire. I mean, how does fire come out of somebody's mouth? Are they like a bombardier beetle in reverse? Or they get like a fire-breathing dragon? Is it fiery words? It's rhetoric. It's fiery rhetoric. No, fiery rhetoric won't kill you. I think it's fiery fire. They're in this, in this manner, they're going to be killed. I'm going to go kill them guys. They are standing on my last nerve. Oh, I don't think I'd try that. It's not going to go well with you. They breathe fire out. You Now you're just cinders and that's all there is to it. They have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. Anyone know a prophet who shut up heaven for three and a half years? Read here, James. And by the way, James tells us that it was three and a half years. If we read in First Kings where Elijah did it, we don't know it's three and a half years. We have to read the book of James, and James' commentary on that tells us it was three and a half years. What a coincidence. And by coincidence, I mean not a coincidence at all, of course. There's, uh, there's no coincidence in Scripture. They, these have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. How long is their prophecy? It's 42 months. It's 1,260 days. Or in other words, three and a half years. They have power over waters to turn them to blood. Ha! Huh, I know a guy in the Old Testament who could turn water into blood. So, uh, so is this making us connect some dots in your thinking? I hope so. And to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. I know a guy, ten plagues. Hey, let my people go. I ain't going to do it. Well, I think you're going to do it, but you're going to have to learn the hard way. All kinds of plagues. So I think it's Moses and Elijah. Okay? That's what I think. Um, Adam, just because... Moses and Elijah had these powers. God could give these powers to anyone. That's what Arnold Frankenbaum says. But I don't think the Scripture works like that. I think God's connecting dots. He always does. He does that all the way through Scripture. And if you understand the connecting dot system, the Scripture comes alive for you. I mean, it does. Because you're reading this and you're saying, wow, that sounds very Elijah-like. Wow, that sounds very Moses-like. And I remember back in Malachi where it says, God's going to send um, Moses. I mean, go send Elijah before the great and coming day of the uh, before the day of the Lord. 
They have power to shut heaven. They have power to uh, breathe fire, call fire down. They have power to turn water to blood. They have uh, power to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, this is important, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit, is that Satan? Yeah. Yeah. He's going to make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Are these Christians? No, we have power to tread on snakes and scorpions. Satan doesn't have any power over you that you don't give him. This is so key to just life. I haven't given him any ground. And if he's taken any from me that I've given him through foolishness, through not obeying what God has told me to do, I'm taken back with repentance. I have the, the promise of Abraham on us, okay? That, that that's in Abraham shall I see be called, and that Galatians says that's Christ, and we have all the promises that come to uh, Abraham on us, and Abraham wasn't overcome by Satan on a daily basis. I won't be either. God's given us power over snakes and scorpions. Now, by the way, when I say snakes and scorpions, you think God's saying, yeah, you can step on sidewinders and adders and rattlesnakes and little bugs. I don't think that's got anything to do with that. In the context, it's, it's spiritual power over spiritual beings. No, these can't be Christians because Satan has power. This is his time. And he can kill them because God lets them. What does that tell you? Hey, listen, one, you have power with snakes and scorpions. Two, you're not going anywhere till your ministry's all done. Ten foot tall and bulletproof. A lot of us are nervous. A lot of us get really worried about what? <laughs> what? I'm going to go over time here. This is important. Biggest commandment in Scripture is fear not. I don't do anything motivated by fear. It's always the wrong choice. I just, thank you. <laughs> I just love the Lord and I just, I fear the Lord. I don't fear Satan. I don't, I don't know what Scripture tells us to fear Satan. Satan's going to overcome them and kill them, okay? And their dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Jesus wasn't crucified in Sodom. He wasn't crucified in Egypt. He was crucified in Jerusalem. So why are they spiritually called Sodom and Egypt? Sodom is a place of great wickedness, a, great, a place of sexual sin. Egypt is a great place of great sin also, specifically idolatry. It took a while for the children of Israel to get out from the idolatry. When they went out in, went out in the wilderness, and the wilderness wanderings, they took their idols with them. And God had to work with them 40 years to get the vest them of their idols. Um, is, um, uh, is Jerusalem a place of sex, sin, and idolatry? God says so. If not now, at this time, but I think now too. But I think we can make that case about yeah, don't don't act all you know proud like we don't see any of this in America. We don't, we don't have any sex sin. We don't have any idolatry. Oh please, I could give you eighty million examples, probably without even going out of town. But anyway, let's keep moving. And they have the people, so they don't allow their dead bodies to be. What's that? Is that that's just desecrating their bodies? 
So, you know, we don't even give them a decent burial. We're going to let them just stay in the sun and rot. They are, man, they have plagued us with their calling down fire from heaven with these plagues. They're turning water into blood. They ain't letting it rain. Don't they understand there's famine on the earth? Don't they understand that a lot of bad things are happening? It's all their fault. Ah, now they're dead. Yay, yay, we're happy that they're dead. And, you know, and now this great celebration we'll see in the next few verses and we ain't going to let their dead body, we're going to just let them just rot out there and let crows come and pick at them. We ain't going to even, nothing. Just that's, and that's the idea here with not letting their dead bodies, uh, lie, letting their dead bodies still lie in the street. And they have the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three and a half days and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And that's again, that desecration. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them. Only time in scripture that the earth dwellers are rejoicing in the book of, and it's very short-lived. In Revelation, earth dwellers are, they're a, a breed of people. My residence is right here. I think as Christians, very often our residence is right here. So go around and take, people's temperature every morning because it's part of my function so i i don't i don't like infrared at my pineal gland what's the long-term effect there i don't know won't be able to read minds anymore i don't like a gun pointed at my head so i always come over and you know kind of like lean in or turn the head and i'm like how about this right here so i've taught them all the now what will they have long-term effects will have here? I don't know. hope none, right? So I take their temperature in one, and very often they say, am I dead? That's the thing. Why do they say that? I don't know. And I say, I'll say something like, not yet. Or, uh, you still got a little life in you. Or I'll say something, no, but you're going to be. And I'm always right. Nobody's getting out of here alive. And I want them to think in terms of like, because I've talked to like a lot of guys, you know, they're I'm afraid of death. I'm thinking, I'm going to be dead a long time. You're going to be here a short time. And they're living like this is all there is. They're earth dwellers. Christians become earth dwellers. They don't have any, I just want to grab all the things I can grab. I want to, I want to have it now. I want all my, all my sin and all my depravity and all my wickedness. I just want to live the life I want to live. That's a bad, that's a, such a bad idea. You're going to be dead for a long time. You're going to be in heaven for a long time. hundred years from today, it won't matter what job you had. It won't matter if you had a nice vacation, a real nice truck, a real... That stuff's going to matter. Only what you did for Jesus Christ is going to last through the millennia. That should tell us what type of people we ought to be. These are the earth dwellers, and they're rejoicing over them. They that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, make merry. Three and a half days they will, and they shall send gifts one to another. Are you kidding me? I, how wicked, how perverse is that? Dead Prophet's Day, yes! New holiday, this is great. And they'll make, Hallmark will make cards, and they'll say, it's just, ah, it'll be horrible. These guys died, and they've been tormenting us. Oh, actually they didn't. God did. And the judge of the whole earth did because there's great wickedness and he's calling people to repentance. And this whole book is about repentance and God moving forth in judgment. You think it's going to just be wicked forever? That's why when 
There's nobody worthy to take the scroll out of, out of the hand of him who sat on the throne. That's why John, it says, wept much, sobbed convulsively. He was inconsolable. What did, what did, somebody can't take a scroll out of somebody's hand. Is that reason you'd cry? It's the title deed of the earth. And what John understands and what we don't understand is that it'll never be redeemed. It's going to be like this forever. There's going to be hatred. There's going to be racism. There's going to be war. There's going to be rape, ravage, pillage of the land. Everything's going to go bad and bad and greed and, and just, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse forever. And it's never going to get redeemed. That's what John understood, that we don't understand. And the angel said, and one of the elders said, wait, 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 John, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he has prevailed. How did he prevail? Through the cross. Okay. These people, they don't have a clue. They're going to they're rejoice over them, make merry, and they're going to send gifts to one another because these two prophets who tormented the earth tormented them and dwelt on the earth. After three days and a half, this is almost comical. This is almost. I, after three days and a half, so these people there celebrating, partying, drug taking, drinking, doing a little jig around these bodies and stuff, and just having a high time. After three and a half days, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet. By the way, resurrection means to stand upon your feet. Some people say, like, people, th- some Christians think that the resurrection that you and I will enjoy is a spiritual resurrection. How would you know? And two, the word resurrection means to stand upon your feet. It doesn't mean to have, a, like, a spiritual whatever. You could be in heaven like a spiritual being. You don't be spirit. You're a spiritual being now, but you have a body. Then, in 1 Corinthians 15, bears us out, you're going to have a, a resurrected body, and you're going to have it forever. It won't get old. It won't get hungry. It won't smell bad when you sweat. It won't sweat. I always say, are the dentists in heaven? Yeah, there's probably saved guys who used to be dentists here on earth, but guy up in heaven got to you know, hang out a shingle. Joe Jones, DDS, go in there and he'll drill your supernatural teeth. Don't worry about it. Don't even worry about it. So they have this resurrection. They stood on their feet. I love that. And great fear fell upon them which saw them, I guess. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. Anyone, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, anyone? This is this they're having their own personal rapture. But I told you the rapture is the resurrection of the church, okay? There's a rapture in the Bible, you know, resurrection is, okay? And that's uh behold, we're not all gonna sleep, we're all gonna be changed in the twinkling of an eye, all that. That's that's what they're gonna enjoy right here, right now. Come up hither. They ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And our time is spent. But, that's a good place to end, probably. And then, what happens after that? Bad stuff. <laughs> Great earthquake. A lot of stuff. Anyway, but we'll, we'll, we'll pick up that next week. Um, look, if you're going I'm to... Not, I'm not accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Okay. Okay, we can't force anyone to anyway. If I could, I wouldn't. It's not the way God operates. 
But at some point, when you start seeing the stuff play out, their ministry is one of repentance. God's not asking anything of a man or a woman that's unworthy of them. Sin is unworthy. You're created in God's image. Goodness sake. Sin, eh, pleasures of sin for a season. I'm just going to party hardy. I'm going to live it up until drugs and alcohol start consuming me. And it's not fun anymore. I have to do it just to keep the, the, the vulture off my veins, the monkey off my back. I have to drink so I get rid of the DTs. And it, it, Sin is like that. Take it out and you play with it, and it's so fun, and so, and then it just, after a while, it devours you. It is for freedom that we have been set free. Don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. At some point, and I think now point, repent. Turn from your sin. God doesn't like it. It's not promoting your cause. It's not promoting God's cause. It's not a good thing. And God is the judge of the whole earth. And he says, you better repent first to last, You'll be repenting forever, but it will be an imperfect repentance, so it's, it'll never end. I, I'm just telling you what the book says. You can shoot the messenger if you want. That's okay, because i got resurrection in my future, so I don't get really... Ten foot tall and bulletproof, like I say, you know, whatever. I'm not, am I afraid of anything? No, no. It's not how God wants us to be. Um... So let's stand. We'll we'll go out of here and singing and like I say, Happy Mother's Day, death of two witnesses, resurrection. It's all it's all good. Listen, and I hope you have like I uh, hope you get your family in or you, or you somebody's taking you out for dinner and you're gonna have an awesome day, you moms. I really do. Uh, let's pray, Father. Some of these things are hard to understand. It's not hard to understand that you're the judge of the whole earth and you want us to do right. And that you've given us provision, because we've already done wrong. You've given us provision in Jesus Christ. He's paid the penalty for all our sins. And we can have life in you. And I just thank and praise you for being such a good God, such a wonderful Heavenly Father, for giving us life. Uh, Lord, bless us now. Bless moms especially this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.